Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. On average, the United States has 800 tornadoes reported every year. Since the founding of Quincy, most people believed that the bluffs and the river protected the town from twisters. However, in 1945, that all changed. We talk about the Night of the Twister, coming up next. Now, here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Another episode of Wild Quincy coming your way. Travis, uh, we are going to dig into some of my favorite subject matter in just a few moments, but I think we got to give a shout out. If you missed the last episode, you missed a great one. We got a lot of great responses from listeners enjoying the uh, discussion we had with a former mayor, Travis. That's right. Chuck Schultz the, was a, just a wonderful guest. So many stories, so little time, Chris. We had a supersized episode, as you remember. Many comments, people dropping me notes, really appreciated that kind of step back in time to the 90s there and how life seemed a little bit simpler in a way. Politics were definitely not quite as crazy. Um, It was interesting just to hear about how stuff was getting done. And I'm just going to leave that and not get on any soapbox, but... It was a great episode, and we really appreciate Chuck coming on. Thanks to Chuck again. That was really exciting. It was, uh, I mean, over an hour, 40-minute-long episode, but in all honesty, it it went really quick because it's just so fascinating of subject matter. If you haven't checked it out, make sure to do that. Also, uh, if you haven't become a Patreon member, check that out as well. Uh, Our Patreon episode had absolutely nothing to do with Chuck, but we talked about a bunch of other things as well, so uh, check that out uh, if you haven't had a chance. Travis, speaking of Patreon, though, we have, uh, we've been kind of hinting and giving little 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 stuff to people, but uh, we're getting ever so closer to that uh, new uh, benefit for our Patreon members. That's right. We're uh, doubling back, checking, making sure all our T's are crossed and our I's are dotted, and we're hopefully in the next, uh, I'd say in the next week, it's a safe bet, that we'll be uh, emailing our Patreon members of that level, the $8 level, correct, Chris? That's correct. And above, of course. And as well as those who have elected to help us on the research front, you can also shoot us an email at wildquincy at gmail.com if you want to get in on that research assistance. And one other reason to check out Patreon is a big question in the culinary world of Quincy, at least in my mind, Chris. Who has the better nachos? And I'm, I'm not going to say who in Quincy has the best nachos because there's so many contenders. But two places rise to the top, in my opinion, the Tower and Abbey. Well, I took my handy-dandy little mobile recording rig out. Video. We went full scale. You got to look at my dang face the whole time if you're a Patreon <laughs> member. It's about 15 minutes. I go. I get nachos from both places. We put it through the Hoffman House taste test. It's quite an adventure. My daughter has several fun little cameos. And uh, we, we, we have a clear winner. That's all I'm going to say. If you want to see the whole deal, jump over to Patreon and uh, you'll see who the winner is, at least in the Hoffman House. How about you, Chris? What do you like better, Abby or Tower? Have you had them both? I haven't had either. Oh, my God, Chris. we got to solve know, this problem. Right? I will tell you, your video was fascinating. I, I, I found that for some reason I was like, all right, I'll watch it. And then, like, all of a sudden, like, the whole thing was done. And I was like, I watched intently the whole time. I don't know why. Yeah, strangely captivating. Strangely captivating. Fascinating. Yes, yes. So, um, and, and uh, I, your your kids are awesome. Your daughter just makes me laugh She's a ham. She's a bit of a ham. Yeah, I, was, I really just want to test out some... Uh, video work for some future stuff for wild quincy but i threw it up on the old patreon side just for our buddies and uh, supporters so if you're if you're looking for a reason to teetering on the edge of becoming a patreon and you like nachos that might be the ticket for you Chris, what are we doing? What's going on? This is what's this episode? What's happening here? Well, this, uh, like I said, is an exciting episode, and we're going to tell you about that in a second. But I, we got to get to this question of the day first. Oh, of course, the questions, the questions. Bring me the questions. Here we go. In 1912, a famous axe murder occurred in Adams County. Up to a few years ago, the location of this axe murder place was actually a bar. I'm going to give you some options, but I want you to name the bar for me. And here's your uh, choices. We have Mike's Place, The Haunted Tavern, The Flying Inn, or Adam's Trading Post. Oh, interesting. So again, 
The question is this. In 1912, a famous axe murder in Adams County occurred up until a few years ago. The location was actually a bar. What was the name of the bar? Was it Mike's Place, The Haunted Tavern, The Flying Inn, or Adam's Trading Post? We'll have the answer for that coming up for you at the end of this episode. But Travis, uh, it's time to have some fajitas. No. It's time to oh, talk about some you fajitas. dirty dog. I almost I made fajitas last week and I almost sent you some more pictures. <laughs> we'll tell you the details about why that's so funny coming up. But we're gonna talk more importantly about something that happened back in the 40s in Quincy that had a huge impact. It was the 1945 tornado, and it's coming up next here on Wild Quincy. <laughs> Here's what you missed on the latest After Hours episode of Wild Quincy. You know why it's called Watermelon Center? Because it's got water in it. Well, yeah, that too. First person that had it. I think, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt that first was at like a summer thing campaigning. The local guy that grew the massive watermelons had you know a contest, a massive watermelon. We broke a record. And they were at the other thing, they were cutting it all up. And Roosevelt went over there, and they used to call them summer melons. And he got a big slice, and he took a bite, and he's like, Watermelon! <laughs> and it just really? stuck. Wow. That's not true. Go on. Is that not no. real? Dude, that sounded like a totally real story. I... Our After Hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. Hey, this is Liz and you're listening to Wild Quincy. Now back to Chris and Travis. Back here on Wild Quincy and this week we are digging deep into a big event that happened uh, in the 19, 1940s in Quincy and Travis we could sit here and talk about uh, Wizard of Oz and Toto and uh, other movies including uh, you, what other movie is there I, I can't remember the Wiz technically the Wiz. <laughs> have you ever seen the Wiz no isn't that a baseball movie uh, no no it's a a parody of the Wizard of Oz done kind of uh, with the black community in mind Michael Jackson uh, Diana Ross oh cool I've it, never seen it's that it's got some move on down the line it's that's a catchy it's got some catchy tunes i'm way off topic let's get back to the topic at hand <laughs> i was more thinking twister but uh yeah you can go a whole another whole another thing we could spend some time just doing twister quotes would be fun you know uh, something about cows and stuff that'd be kind of fun ah, love a good cow quote. but uh let's get started here we so are first so first, we're going to start with some of the history of some of the tornadoes in the area. I want to preface this by saying that uh, I'm getting this information from a website. We'll probably have the link to it for you. It's a uh, National Weather Service site. They used to have this page where you clicked on the county. It would show you all the tornadoes uh, throughout history that they have recorded. They've changed some things up. And I have noticed, Travis, uh, that there is some inconsistencies uh, to some of their reporting. So we'll, uh, we'll come to those when they come up. But I want to go through some of the near town ones first, okay? Yeah, let's, let's hit it. So, of course, we mentioned this in the last episode, the 1876 tornado. It cut between Quincy and Hannibal and ended up ending near the airport. That was an F4 tornado, an F4 tornado. Now, just for those who aren't familiar with the, the scale, where does that fall? What's the, what's the bookends on that? Yeah, so, and that's a great question, and maybe we should preface by talking about that first. I have this problem, and hopefully I won't do it during this episode, but uh, I evidently I'm hungry when I'm doing these things every once in a while because there's a thing called the Vegeta scale measures a tornado's damage. However, sometimes if you ever paid attention to the spelling of Vegeta, it's spelled the same as Fajita. 
And sometimes it just rolls off the tongue yep. in that pronunciation of it. We found so, out. <laughs> so if you ever hear Travis say, uh, I, "This is a this is an F four on the fajita scale," uh, we might know what uh, he's talking about. Well, I've texted you a few pictures of fajitas I've had in the last couple of weeks, Chris, in preference, uh, pre- preparation rather for the show. And I encourage everyone to send us pictures of your fajitas to uh, wildquincy at gmail dot com, and we'll we'll be sure to rank rank them on our fajita scale. Yeah, there we go. But uh, going back to the Vegeta scale, what that is is it measures the damage of a tornado, uh, and uh, it could be anywhere from an F zero to an F five. F fives will uh, pretty much tear everything off a concrete slab, leave nothing but the slab, and, and in some cases, actually tears the concrete out of the ground as well. Mm. There's been pictures of uh, tornadoes crossing roads, and literally you're shearing the the road off of the off of the ground so um that tells you the the depth usually those f5 tornadoes are upwards of over 250 miles per hour i'm not real specific on the exact measurement especially with the new enhanced fajita scale which has changed some things up a little bit we'll get into some more details here about some of the big ones uh, down the road throughout history but uh yeah so that gives you an idea f0 is probably gonna maybe move some shingles f5's literally gonna move the whole house Okay. In simple so, terms. and you said F four was the eighteen seventy four. Is that what the eighteen seventy six? Yes, six was F four. Okay, and it cut it in between Quincy and Hannibal. Another one, uh, another bigger one, was an F three that happened in eighteen seventy eight. This one started seven miles south of Quincy and traveled twenty five miles. It killed one person and injured six. Then in 1961, so a little bit uh, more recent in time, another F3 touched down in Marion County and moved to the northwest corner of Pike County near Hull, continued between Payson and Plainville, nearly missing Liberty. This tornado continued on, get this, Travis, for 127 miles. Good night. Is there an average that a tornado usually has landfall? Or is it all over the board? Most tornadoes are going to be F0, F1. Typically, those don't last more than maybe a mile or two. So this one lasts 127? 127. Ended up uh, finishing northeast of Galesburg. So just for some scale, I mean, from here to Macomb is around 50 miles. Yeah. So that's crazy. Luckily, no injuries or deaths were reported in Adams County, but there was some deaths uh, farther north. And then finally, uh, 1974, an F2 tornado started near Ursa, and it traveled east-southeast, splitting Coatesburg and Camp Point, and finally lifting just south of Camp Point. So this pretty much took Highway 24, for the most part, uh, straight across. Uh, It traveled for nearly 16 miles. So that's some of the big ones. These are bigger ones that were in Adams County, but now we're going to talk about those that are in the town of Quincy. So we start in 1970. This was an F1 tornado. It began at 2:47 p.m. It started at 28th and Locust. Okay. And moved northeast. 28th and Locust. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. And moving east. Right. So it ripped a roof from a factory complex and then left intermittent tracks of damage of reports of trees and roofs, other minor buildings. It traveled another decent distance it ended near lorraine it was on the ground for 15 and a half miles and that was in 1970 so that was one of the few there's only been two that i could ever find that the tornadoes actually started in quincy the second one of those is actually uh something that was uh, a little bit more recent it was in 1992 this was in june of 92 an f0 tornado began at 12:54 p.m it was a brief tornado around the 10th in jersey area that only lasted a half a mile with some minor tree damage okay so you had a 10th in jersey one and then in 1992 the same year just a month later at 1:10 p.m another f0 tornado it was a public reported tornado near highway 57 and south 24th street uh the damage was reported at 48th and harrison uh it was on the ground for eight tenths of a mile okay but you know i'm missing one the, the the most notorious, I believe, is is still to come. It sounds like. Well, more recently, notorious one. If that's one you're, you're oh, thinking yes, about. Oh yes, the one I remember that we remember. I yes, think. yes. It was June fourteenth of nineteen ninety eight. This mm. was uh, a first started with some trees getting taken down on the southwest side of town. The tornado weakened as it moved northeast, causing only minor tree damage. Around four oh four p.m., the tornado strengthened to F one intensity about one mile south of Quincy near Twenty Fourth Street and Payson Road. Two walls of a building housing the indoor pool of the Sheridan Swim Club were blown away. The tornado has been uh, was spotted by lifeguards as it approached, enabling the 
immediate occupants to move into a sheltered area. There was only one minor injury when a lifeguard was struck in the lake by flying glass. There were numerous trees that were downed in the area. A few storage sheds were destroyed, and a nearby church suffered minor roof damage. You remember that tornado back in 1998? I absolutely do. Yeah, they just ripped. I remember being right going through the Sheridan Swim Club, just in that general vicinity. Tell me, are there other ones before we get to the meat and potatoes? No. Okay. Let's let's talk a little bit about why is the whole idea of tornadoes so captivating for you? Tell us, people might not know about your history with weather. Where, what puts you in a unique position to have kind of some insider knowledge on this? Wow, where to start? Uh, I think it was around 92, 93. I went to the movie theater and saw the movie Twister, and it all started <laughs> right, from there. Right. And wore out every VHS copy you ever had. That's right. Uh, But more importantly, uh, I started one of the first jobs I had out of high school was working at WGEM. And I worked in the the radio world uh, on the radio side of things. But I quickly moved over to TV and then got an interest uh, when Corey McCloskey was there. I was uh, started getting interested in weather and then um, became close friends with a a guy that uh, was on has been on here recently. Rich Kane. Uh, Rich was the morning uh, weather guy, now meteorologist at KHQA, but uh, then he was the weather guy in the mornings. So got to learning the weather and all that stuff and got real involved, kind of got into the storm chasing world. Um, some of you guys might know a guy by the name of Gary Wellman, uh, another storm chaser from Quincy. Me and him got together and storm chased for many years together. And uh, then it kind of Ended up that a few years later down the road, I started storm chasing for WGEM. Uh, then I got back into the radio world because, you know, I have multiple hats. <laughs> you, you should have multiple heads for all those hats. <laughs> so, in long story short, yes. you I mean, if you're going to be out there chasing storms, you have to have a pretty good awareness of what's happening from a radar perspective. You're more than, you know, you're... Every day watching the local weather report, you know, weather channel app situation. You're out there. You have to know what you're looking at, right? Let's backtrack. 20 years ago, the answer to that question would be yes. <laughs> today's world, no. Unfortunately, any Yahoo can go in storm chase, yeah. which is not a good situation. But there's so many apps on your phone and, and radars, so it's very accurate. It can put you in a GPS location. Uh, so it becomes very easy to literally go chase a storm if it's already evident. Back 20 years ago, when I storm chased, uh, it was, uh, the, to give you an example, at one point in time, I was chasing, it was May 4th, 2003. That first, that week of May in 2003 was what we refer to as Hell Week because it was a ton of tornadoes that week but um we actually took our satellite dish for direct tv on the road and tried setting up our satellite dish in the vehicle so we can get the (laughs) weather channels radar while we were storm chasing uh so that tells you what technology was at back then but uh yeah so things unfortunately has changed a lot today and then a more recent time to finish up real quick i i spent four years as kind of the weather analyst for a a local radio station and uh did severe weather coverage and things like that so uh yeah uh, my i i've always loved weather i've always been excited about weather it's always fascinated me and so this is the sweet spot this is the crosshairs of history and weather so chris is glowing with excitement as we (laughs) Press forward, and I just wanted to give him a little due diligence that, you know, what he's talking about here, he knows what he's talking about, and it's not just some random Google search. So the floor is yours, sir. Where are we headed next? Let's go to Thursday, April 12th of 1945. Let's do it. Flux capacitor is going good in the DeLorean. We have just hit, uh, what is it, 70 miles an hour, and we are there. What Tell us about it. What's happening? That day was an odd day because in the afternoon of that day down in warm springs georgia while sitting for a portrait franklin d roosevelt said i have a terrific headache he then slumped over in his chair fell unconscious and was carried in his bedroom just a few hours later actually a few minutes later at 3:35 p.m roosevelt was pronounced dead so Jeez. we had a president that died on April 12th of 1945. So that news got around very quickly. So that evening, most of the, the Quincy area was mourning the loss of the president, Roosevelt. But uh, there was other things on the horizon, and it had to do with weather. 
one of the things we're going to tell you guys, and we'll have a we'll have this for you guys on the website, and we might throw some of these pictures and images on uh, Facebook as well. So be on the lookout for that. But if you take a look at uh, tornadoes by time of day, I went and did some charting of all the tornadoes that have been reported in Adams County throughout the history. It dates all the way back to the 1850s, I believe. And if you look at it, the prime times for tornadoes in Adams County is usually early afternoon, so around 1 o'clock. And usually by 7 o'clock or so, it, it's about wrapped up. We usually don't see very many nighttime tornadoes. However, back in April 12th of 1945, that wasn't necessarily the case because at 10.08 p.m., there was a uh, tornado. It touched down, but this touched down in Palmyra, Missouri, Travis. Interesting. Palmyra. It touched down. And by the way, before I get into this, there is some time discrepancies. And unfortunately, again, going back to what I, I said earlier was sometimes the National Weather Service and their new data information they have is not always quite accurate. However, the National Weather Service is saying that the tornado occurred around 8 o'clock, but multiple, multiple newspaper reports say that this tornado touched down around 10.08 p.m. Okay. So I'm going to go with the newspaper reports about 10.08 p.m. being the time, which is very odd because, like I just mentioned, after dark tornadoes are a little bit more rare in Adams County. Not to say that they're not uh, not possible, but they're they're more rare than your, your afternoon, early evening tornadoes. Can we get into for a minute... Why is that? What what is is there a reason why that timeline of tornadoes is kind of trending there in the afternoon? Is there any reason that you know of, Chris? The most high level reason for that it has to do with just the simply of the uh, daytime heating and your instability is the most uh, the most sufficient in that time frame. However, there is a second part of that, and we've kind of talked about this off air, Travis, is that uh, there is, you got to think about how storm systems kind of get fired up. And you do see that sometimes these later storms that you get into like the seven and eight o'clock time period that we start seeing some storms come in have a lot to do with that. You know, you have Tornado Alley in Kansas and Oklahoma and Nebraska. Those storms are moving across Missouri, heading towards Adams County. You're looking at a seven or eight o'clock time for those storms to fire up an early afternoon and then get across the state. So you do see some activity from the Tornado Alley. However, I do want to throw this out too, Travis. We are technically in Tornado Alley. We are just okay. on the very edge of Tornado Alley. Missouri more so is, especially Southeast Missouri, but we're not too far away. So uh, we're the tornado, tornado gutter. Alley. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We're, we're the thing where it falls off to the side. Let's just hope that the tornadoes is not like my bowling game. <laughs> so what what I was going to with that was that it is a little bit odd. It's not rare. It's not something that never happens. But to have a tornado like this touching down at this time of night, especially when we're looking in 1945, which we'll get into this. If we don't get into it here, we'll get into it on the Patreon side about how how the National Weather Service wasn't even in existence at this time. Right, uh, right. The Fujita scale we were talking about wasn't in existence at this time. There's a lot of things that weren't happening in the 1940s that happened later on. Actually, it was just a few years later when the National Weather Service was formed. But so you don't have somebody giving you a report saying, hey, there's a tornado coming. So we go back to Palmyra. This tornado, it touches down on the south side of town. It first hits the Marion County Infirmary and does some damage there. Also, there was a practice for a play going on at the high school. And the high school where they were doing this play was at was really close to the infirmary. The windows blew out during the third act as they were practicing the play. There was 100 people in the auditorium. Ironically enough, they finished their practice of the play <laughs> wow, by candlelight. That's, that's some hardcore theatrical company. Exactly. <laughs> Props to Palmyra. Windows blew out. They're like, we got to get this through this third act. It's where the money's at. But no, so <laughs> so that was happening. Also, uh, as it, this tornado was traveling, it traveled through the heart of the town. It hit uh, the Marion County Courthouse. It damaged the clock tower on the courthouse. But it really, a main area it hit was straight down Main Street. And one of the areas it hit was a place called the the Crystal Palace Ballroom. It was a two-story building, and the whole second story, Travis, of the building ripped off. Jeez, that's pretty dramatic. You think that's dramatic? Wait till you hear about this. Out of okay. pure luck, remember we talk about what happened earlier in the day with the President yes, the, Roosevelt the being president. killed? Uh -huh. Yeah. So early well, in the dying, day, dying. Yes, what, yes. Killed? <laughs> nobody killed yeah, him. Nobody killed him. Uh, not fake. Not fake history. <laughs> that happened earlier in the day. That night, there was supposed to be a Kiwanis Club dance held at that ballroom. 
they decided to cancel it because Oof. of President Roosevelt's death. If that would have been happening, it was estimated that there would have been between 200 and 300 people in attendance at that ballroom, and it is gone at this point in time after the tornado goes what a What a crazy coincidence that that happened. Yeah. That's insane. Again, still going through Main Street, the 100 block of Main Street was completely destroyed, according to newspaper reports, and all 40 square blocks, which was more than half the town, was damaged with over 200 homes either damaged or destroyed. Okay, so we're not even out of Palmyra yet, and you have massive destruction. Yes. What's next? Luckily, though, uh, with all that destruction, there was no fatalities and very few injuries that happened in Palmyra. So wow. that was good news. But uh, I will tell you this. Palmyra's night wasn't over. I'm going to tell you about that a little bit later on. Did the play have an encore? Uh, the play didn't, <laughs> but something else did. Okay. What do we get? What do we got? I do want to talk about this real quick. I, I found this really going through all these old newspapers and learning about the history of what happened. I came across a story specifically about Palmyra. And it talked about that there was reports of straw blown into wood from the now, tornado. Wood seems pretty hard of substance, Chris, from my experience with yes. wood, uh, barring the balsa wood airplanes. What does it take for a piece of straw, which is, I think we can all agree, far less sturdy, to <laughs> penetrate wood? What 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 is that? What, what kind of speed are we talking on? I had the same question because it for straw and to go into wood it has to be an insane speed. And so, ironically, I did a quick Google search, and MythBusters of all people actually did an episode about this, not really? specifically about Palmyra, but about what type of wind speed needs to be had for a piece of straw to be blown into wood. That comes to find out, it needs to be 320 miles per hour. For it to be able to wedge itself into a piece of wood. Ooh. So, so let's put that in perspective real quick, Travis. Yeah. We do have the record, uh, according to actual measured record, of the fastest ever wind speed recorded. And it was in the 1999 Oklahoma City tornado. The speed was 302 miles per hour. Hmm. And again, I'll give credit. 1940s newspapers are very fun to read. They Absolutely. they put some they put some flair into it. Yes. Um. So, but I would sh- I would guess that in this scenario that they caught wind of this and they thought, ooh, that's gonna make no pun intended. Some- yeah. <laughs> well, maybe a little. Uh. But they caught wind of this and so they wanted to put it in there because it's pretty fascinating. Now, realistically, and re- it's just not gonna happen. There was not 320 mile per hour winds happening in Palmyra that night. So if that was the case, again, we're going to F5 scale, Travis. Yeah. So that would mean that everything would be gone. And, and that was, was not, not the case. That, right. that that whole Crystal Palace would have been just abominated. It would have been not nothing. the second floor. Yeah. Exactly. So Travis, you know that this is wild Quincy, not a wild Palmyra. Yeah, so this thing keeps on rolling, right? This thing keeps on rolling. So actually... Does some damage even before we get to Quincy. But wait a minute, uh, the- Chris. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got to stop you in your tracks. Okay. Everyone knows that a tornado mm. can't jump a river. Uh-huh. Right? Mm. Right? Right. Sure. I did. So what happened? <laughs> so before we get to that, uh, from Palmyra to Quincy, the tornado traveled 11.1 miles. In I did this math, Travis. Had to do some calculations today. The tornado traveled 11.1 miles in 12 minutes. Wow. So it put the speed of the storm or the tornado at 56 miles per hour. So it went 56 miles per hour from Palmyra to Quincy. Okay. Uh, while it was on this path, it did uh, hit three farmhouses and did significant damage. But finally, it was 10.20 p.m., when the tornado did what you said it could never do and cross the Mississippi River. That, boy, that just shatters a lot of kind of quote-unquote local knowledge about tornadic activity and the ability for it to jump the river. You right. know, everyone always likes to say, the blow, it's the bluff. You know, it, yeah. it, can't, it loses its steam and it can't jump through. But it did. Mm-hmm. It sure did. And it doesn't seem like it lost a lot of intensity, judging from where we're about to go, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot to to, to uh, take apart here. Again, no pun intended. After crossing the river, the tornado first struck near Front and Jefferson. It destroyed the Front Street fuel dump area. This is, in today's world, uh, you know, going down Gardner, Denver, you're going past uh, the uh, George Metz's house, you're going down the hill, you go to the stoplight. That's where we're looking at is where the entry of this tornado coming into 
Quincy was at. Not not only that, but that's a little throwback to a previous episode where Edna Brown did her dirty deed in killing her husband at almost oh, the exact location. Wow. Go check it out. It's in the archives. <laughs> Anyways, go on. We Good got throwback. Front and Jefferson. Where to go next? So, and this is the thing where I, we're going to go through kind of a timeline of, of where this tornado hit and what damage it did. However, when you're, I know this is going to throw a lot of numbers, a lot of addresses at you. Think about these. If not, we actually have a graph that we'll have available for you on our website. We'll have it on the Facebook page as well. I highlight some of these locations, most of these locations I highlight. So it gives you kind of an idea. Let's start with where we went to. The YWCA was at 4th and Jefferson at this time, and the roof was blown off of that. At 225 York, this is uh, putting this in today's world right across the street from the Oakley Lindsay Center. Beverly Meyer and Patricia Dodd were asleep in their house when the tornado hit. Both of them were blown from the bed and received cuts and bruises. Boy, they got yeah. pretty good, I'd say. Yeah. The Newcomb and Lincoln Douglas hotels both had multiple windows smashed due to flying debris. So you're looking at, what, 4th and Main there? Yeah, yeah. The Jefferson Johnson Motor Company, which they were located right across the street, kind of in the middle of the street between 3rd and 4th, across the street from the Lincoln Douglas. Okay. They had a garage where their second floor of the garage was completely ripped off. Mm. Up Main Street, though, at the same time, multiple churches were being damaged. St. Boniface Church at 7th and Main was damaged, but the big one was St. Peter's Church. It was at 8th I've and Main. That. You're going to see pictures of this uh, on our on our website. The cross on the top of the roof toppled over. The entire rear wall wasn't knocked down, exposing the altar. It was determined that it was a complete loss. And that church suffered a, ma- a major, major damage. Another church, uh, the Vermont Street Methodist Church, was badly damaged just a few moments later that's a block up there on vermont but that was just kind of the the starting point of the business district travis because the main area we have to think about in the main area where the biggest damage occurred was on hampshire street okay hampshire street locking it into my mind okay what do we got by far the hardest hit area in the quincy in quincy was between hampshire on between fifth and seventh so we're going to talk about some of these buildings the vonberg jewelry store it was located at 526 hampshire was damaged the owner said that in the paper that storm was quote literally crushed the whole building that the storm literally crushed the whole building wow also we know we've talked about this in previous episodes the tremont hotel they had windows blown out the second story of the Watkins Werneth food shop at the corner of 6th and Hampshire was completely leveled. We'll have more on that location later because okay. that's a crazy location. And then there was damage extending further up Hampshire, even between 9th and 10th. We know Turner Hall. We've talked about Turner Hall in the past. They had one wall of their building completely collapse while bowlers were in their bowling. Boy, some late night bowling, 10, 1030. Hmm. We've probably heard about this. If you haven't, uh, the 1945 tornado did damage to one building in particular, and that was the Adams County Courthouse. Right. Built in 1876. The courthouse has been standing. Unfortunately, there was two fires in two previous courthouses. This one had been going on for what? Do quick math. 24 plus 45, so 66 years. Is that right? 15? Sounds about right. Yeah, I don't math well, right. but yeah. Uh, the dome, when the tornado hit, the dome blew off the base of the building. Uh, the, there was 2,500 square feet of a flat portion of a roof that was completely ripped off. All the windows were blown out. And get this, a 30-foot stone pillar support for the roof was toppled over. And if that wasn't bad enough, with the roof getting ripped off, torrential rains after the tornado caused horrendous flooding in the building which damaged and destroyed a lot of things another speaking of that another location the harold wig building was another building that took great damage a little bit back a little bit earlier they lost a lot of their newspaper archives from the older days because it got damaged from rain Anyway, going back to the courthouse, a jailer and a deputy sheriff were in the building when the tornado hit. They said the whole building was shaking and vibrating, windows were rattling, and they actually heard the dome being ripped off when the tornado went past. God, what a hellacious hellscape that must have been. Wow. I believe it was the jailer had his daughter with him that night as well, so his, his young daughter was also in the building with him as well. Ooh, scary. Another hotel on Vermont Street, the Farmer's Hotel, had its roof blown off. And then we continue again. We're just going again visualize this. We're coming up uh, from you know Jefferson. We're going up to Hampshire, Vermont. We're going through all these 
Now we're getting close to Broadway. Real quick, if, if our listeners want to jump over to the website at wildquincy.com, we will post these kind of this, this great map Chris has put together that shows the path, the areas that receive the most damage, and some other stuff we'll get to in a minute. But if you have a minute and you're able to pull this up, he did a lot of great work, and this really helps to follow along with as he's talking here. So go check that out. Talking about Broadway, um, and I think this is one of the numbers on that paper. I, I didn't write the numbers down, but uh, near today's Blessing Hospital, there used to be a supermarket. It was called the AMP Supermarket. It was at the corner of 10th and Broadway. They had two walls that collapsed there, and then also a house at 416 North 10th was hit, and a gentleman by the name of Arthur Graff received lacerations to his head while he was in bed sleeping. Uh, so again, we crossed Broadway with some some damage. Now we're continuing on north. Some multiple cars were destroyed around 10th and Oak area. Another house with uh, Willis and Helen Wingerter. They were at 1108 Chestnut the, as the storm was uh, coming through and the tornado hit. Helen received cuts and bruises on her head, and Willis was treated for a head laceration. And then finally, the last report before the tornado comes out of town, according to the newspapers, was found uh, as the tornado was moving to the northeast side of town. 14th and Spruce was where Norbert Scherner received deep lacerations to the face when struck by a window pane when the window broke in his bedroom while he was in bed. That's a heck of a trail of disaster in... Boy, that thing was Not moving pretty long. quick. 56 miles an hour is what you estimated. Yeah. Think 50 roughly. to 60 miles per hour, and you're in a car, and instead of you having to go down streets, you're taking a straight shot through, and you're going from you know Jefferson or Gardner Jefferson. Expressway to yeah. in Jefferson all the way up to 13th and what I say 13th and or 11th and Chestnut. Yeah, and you're doing that within probably at a straight shot. You're probably doing that in a minute. Maybe mm. two minutes. That's that's crazy. The tornado's not finished, uh, but it did move out of town. It continued on north. Uh, homes were unroofed in Menden. A barn was destroyed in Lorraine before the tornado finally lifted just shy of the Adams-Hancock County line. So Palmyra to basically the, the Hancock County line. Yep. That's a huge swath of land. Yeah, not to is. mention crossing a river, too. Exactly. Oof. Yeah, we'll get into the details of the total loss and all that uh, in just a few minutes in the rating as well. But we want to talk about the aftermath and what happened with the rescue efforts. And a few people were trapped with many of them getting out quickly, except for one trap. This story is amazing. And I Ooh. saved the actual newspaper article. I'm going to read some of it right here for you. It says, William Strube, who was pinned under tornado pile debris for more than four hours before he was freed at 2.30 Friday morning would not have survived the night. It was believed, except for a freak of good fortune that led to his chance discovery far below several tons of debris in an isolated storm-desolated area at the rear of 606 Hampshire. Remember we talked about 606 Hampshire earlier? That, uh, I believe, was where the Watkins and Worth food shop was at? Right. The collapse of the building in which Strube lived, which was also serving as the warehouse for Watkins and Werneth's food shop at 606 Hampshire, led to a comparative early rescue of another occupant, Ed Paul. But it was not known that Strube, too, was buried in the debris. And Paul's rescuers left after worming him out of the debris on the south side end of the collapsed two-story structure. Later, near midnight, D. Watkins of the Watkins and Warner shop and his friend, proprietor of the Ideal Lunch Shop at 608 Hampshire, were in the Watkins Warner shop completing a check of the storm damage. By sheer chance, Watkins raised a rear window that looked out to the masses of the debris that had been the warehouse and furnace room for the shop. He heard a strange sound, and when they were repeat when they were repeated, he and his friend recognized them as human groans. Only hmm. then was it known that Strube was buried far beneath the debris. But it was more than two and, two and one half hours later when the fireman, who worked without a moment's let up under the direction of the active fire chief, Frank Hummelt, Hummelt Assistant Chief William Voss, and finally extricated him, the critically injured, badly battered Strube saw him on his way to the hospital and in a police ambulance. So... This guy almost got left behind. Can you imagine if he heard rescuers rescuing the first guy and then it just got quiet? Yeah. What has to go through your head? I mean, I, I chuckle, but that's not funny. That is 
oh man, I can't think of a, a worse kind of means of torture than like thinking that you were missed and you're done. It's over. Yeah. That's oof. So he spent over four hours in the debris before he was even known that he was there. And then he spent another two and a half hours before rescuers were able to free him from that location. Boy, I think uh, that's a pretty lucky guy <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, getting out of that one alive. Wow. So there's a, a flip side of this. Uh, the the headline of this, uh, they, they when they do the 1940s newspapers, they'll have their main headline and then they have like subheaders for different sections. The subheader said, had humorous touch says, despite the seriousness of the storm, it also had a humorous side. One of the most popular stories of the day was that of a businessman on his way to his establishment early Friday morning who was astonished to see a body lying beneath an automobile in the storm-stricken area. Closer investigation revealed that the body was a mannequin blown from a nearby display window. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. So overall, in the Quincy area... We had 19 reported injuries. How many deaths were there? How many Zero. Deaths? Zero Wait. deaths. All that destruction and nobody died? Nobody died. Boy, I, I got to think that if this wasn't at 10 o'clock at night, this would be a whole different story. In the business district? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Talk You're about right. a, a, just a fate being on our side on that one. Yeah. Man, that could have been really rough. Mm. Here's the crazy thing about this too, Travis, is that in the aftermath the next morning, many of the people in town weren't even aware that a tornado had gone through the town. They woke <laughs> up shocked. Like, what happened? Everything so was fine. We had a little storm so come through last they night. They just headed downtown to the market and uh, two of the walls are missing. <laughs> yeah, right. The supermarket no longer. What was the reaction to, to this kind of... This is half of downtown just getting demolished. Exactly. What, what was the response by Quincy? Well, they had to respond because you got to realize, unfortunately, in 1940s, and I think Chuck's talked about this last week, was that, you know, the people of Quincy have been great. Well, 1940s, eh. A slight blemish on that reputation, perhaps? A little, just a little bit. But ironically, it, it, the story I will tell you in a second here had nothing to do with the citizens of Quincy. It was actually outsiders that were causing problems. <laughs> but uh, looting, Travis, was the big issue. Oh, boy, looting. Okay. You mentioned earlier the Von Berg Jewelry Store on Hampshire Street. Oh, no. Yeah. So there was a lot of windows that got demolished. And so a lot of the jewelry was out there. Well, there was these two guys that were used tire buyers. They were from the Springfield, Missouri area named Melvin Snodgrass and Roy O'Neill. They were apprehended by police after finding jewelry from the store in their possession. So we had some hmm. looting going on. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, mayor at the time, which was Edward Schneidman, declared a state of emergency. Uh, Governor Dwight Green activated the state militia. Nearly 175 state police officers were on their way to Quincy. They were there Friday morning to fend off the sightseers. However, the sightseers were so thick that the militia actually get this fixed bayonets at one point in time Holy to their crap. guns. Things were getting real. Bayonets. Not only was it getting real, and I mentioned this in the last week's uh, episode, but a sort of martial law went into effect. That in that probably... How often does that happen in Quincy? I can't think of... I don't think it's ever happened. So this might be the only instance of martial law in yeah. Quincy? They, however, in the in the newspaper, uh, even back in the 40s, realized that probably they got to be careful on how they say it. And so they always put semi-martial law oh, in front okay. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Yeah. I hear that. Like yeah. I said, it had 175 state patrol and state militia that arrived to town just to enact the semi-martial law. The martial law was enacted within an area between Vermont and Jersey from 3rd to 9th Street. And again, we have a highlighted area on our map that you're going to see that's going to show that specific area. Pretty much the way they did this was that you had to go to City Hall. You had to request a pass. If you had the pass from City Hall, you were allowed to go into this area that we mentioned. This I mean, is a, what's that, it's nine times three? It's a 27-block area. That's a chunk of, that's a huge chunk of downtown. So they had to get these passes. If you didn't have a pass, you weren't allowed to come into town. Also, I couldn't get verification of this, but there was a couple places where I did see that at one point in time, they may have also been turning just people away from town in general and saying don't come into town because yeah. 
there was really like practically no food or lodging available. So if anybody was traveling and coming into town, there's oh, nothing yeah. for them. All those hotels that got hit. Yep. Yeah, that's all the huge. hotels, all the restaurants got hit. Markets, so nobody right. could provide anything. Uh, so I couldn't get a verification if they actually were turning away people or not. But you can almost guess that maybe that was actually the case. Uh, Travis, oddly enough, though, again, this tornado happened on Thursday. It's uh, April. So we're still in school. School's still going on. Okay. And school still went on on Friday. Schools normally went went to school on Friday like a normal day, like nothing happened. <laughs> so they still had school on Friday. <laughs> well, I guess I guess technically it didn't hit any schools then, maybe. No, it didn't. Right? But, uh, yeah, so everybody was, back, was there. Uh, it took about a few days. They got the streets all cleaned up pretty quickly, and then it, it turned to working on the businesses and getting those cleaned up. But uh, by Monday morning, uh, they did such a great job of getting everything clean. The streets were open back up, and uh, the businesses were trying to get back to uh, some sense of normalcy with, you know, obviously some damages that occurred. And speaking of damages, Travis, according to National Weather Service estimates, the total damage cost was around $2.2 million in 1945 months. Mm. Mm. Okay. That's a, that's a chunk. 50,000 of that was just in Palmyra with well over 1 million being in Quincy. Wow. I got a couple other things before we jump over to the next section here. We got to go back to Palmyra. I told you that it wasn't over in Palmyra. Okay. Okay. What's going on in Palmyra at this point? I cannot confirm this. Again, remember I mentioned earlier the National Weather Service reporting is a little questionable on their website? Yes. I couldn't get any confirmation to find a secondary source to verify. But two hours later, according to the National Weather Service, a second tornado hit Palmyra. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. It was rough night. uh, Rated an EF2. It injured 11 and destroyed another 100 buildings. Oh, my. Yeah, I can't get confirmation of that. However, National Weather Service, that's what they're reporting is two hours later, another tornado came through. Chris, I got to ask, uh, this is news to me that there was such damage in Palmyra. Have you ever, in reference to the Quincy tornado in 1945, heard anything about what happened across the river? No, not at all. Um, ironically, I, as I was doing some research for the Palmyra portion of this, there is a gentleman that did a presentation for one of the local clubs in Palmyra. Maybe it was the Marion County Historical Society, but he did research specifically on the Palmyra. And, and technically, even though there wasn't as many lives lost as, say, the Palmyra massacre, it was one of the, it was by far the biggest like catastrophe and in, in, in thing that ever happened in town. Well, just the sheer scale of damage versus the size of the town. I mean, the percentage of town is just, boy, I'm surprised that there's not more brought up about that. And I think uh, we need to be more aware about that kind of thing. And how often do you think it is that two courthouses, two county courthouses in two separate counties get hit by the same tornado? That's got to be pretty rare. Yeah, you would think so. That's crazy. Uh, Speaking of crazy, Travis, this was much bigger system. There was a total of 17 tornadoes that touched down that day, and they were in Arkansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and Illinois. There were seven F2s, five F3s, four F4s, and even one F5 that occurred in Oklahoma, and it went uh, 28 miles, killing 69 people and injuring 353. Our tornado, with all this damage in Quincy and Palmyra, was officially rated an F2 tornado. Wow. So... That's a lot of power for, I mean, you think F0, F5, mm-hmm. to just be an F2, I mean, thank God yeah. that wasn't anything more than that. Yeah, well, make sure to listen in. If you're not a Patreon member, uh, you might want to join in. If not, listen to our next Patreon episode, because we're going to dig into more of that, because I've been on a uh, mission. I've talked to several like uh, National Weather Service people, and I've talked to some some iconic storm chasers that are really involved with uh, damage surveying, and we're trying to figure out some answers, especially like why... Uh, the Fujita scale didn't come out to the 70s. So who the heck is rating these before 1970? Because even the National Weather Service didn't do damage surveying until the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to figure out who exactly was the one to determine if this this F scale for these tornadoes. Now, I will tell you this real quick, that I do believe that the rating is pretty accurate. Looking at the pictures, I'm not a professional, but I've seen tons and tons of pictures of tornado damage. Uh, I would say... They're pretty close to being probably pretty accurate with their with their decision on what that uh, rating was. Does that surprise you, Chris, that a that an F two tornado could sustain that much time on the ground and that distance? Oh, is sure. That, 
Is that pretty common? Like, the, sure. Is there a ratio from size of tornado to length on the ground, or is it kind of loosey goosey? It goes a lot of different ways. How does that work? Uh, it, it just just depends on the intensity of the supercell that supports the tornado. Uh, ironically, traps. I just watched a YouTube video. Uh, just in the last few weeks that they have a new world record now uh, and it's measured by a couple universities for the fastest ground speed for a tornado which i believe was 98 miles per hour Jeez! it actually they were able to from different uh, chasers videos determine the actual ground speed of it so um yeah so there's uh yeah, it, 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 there's a wide variety. Again, if you guys remember just a few months ago, we technically almost had a new tri-state tornado. Of course, the big tri-state tornado was 1925, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana. The new tornado that hit uh, was Arkansas. Actually, it was Arkansas, Missouri, and uh, Tennessee? No, Kentucky. Um, okay. And all it almost beat the tri-state tornado except it lifted one little section but it was on the ground for 230 miles wow that's yeah. crazy uh i i gotta do this we've already mentioned it travis before we wrap things up i have to go into some stats yes okay? bring it on okay highest rated tornado to go through adams county was in 1876 we mentioned this already it was an f4 tornado the longest tornado path for a tornado that was reported in the county we mentioned this one too is 1960 with the 127 mile f3 the widest tornado in yards for a tornado reported in a county was actually in 1938 it was uh an f3 tornado that measured 800 yards wide which is nearly a half mile wide tornado in adams county wow Highest tornado month is May. Uh, hours which tornadoes likely to occur occurs the most in the counties 2, 4, and 7 p.m. They've each had five apiece. And then finally, traps before we wrap it up, we have to do this because this is a pet peeve of mine. We have to just, we have to take care of some of these myths. I was on I did morning show again, multiple hats, multiple heads. Uh, I was a morning show host, local radio station for many years. I had a co-host that uh, was an was an older person and was in the community for a long time. And this, we're talking Louisiana, Missouri. And she said on the air one day, "Well, Louisiana is never going to get hit by a tornado because we have bluffs all around us." <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. And I, it's just, so we had to take care of some of these myths. True or false, Travis? Yes. Tornadoes cannot cross lakes, large rivers, or wide bodies of water. I would probably say true if we hadn't just gone through all of that. <laughs> so I'm guessing I'm guessing it's false. It is false. Uh, tornadoes can cross any of those things. They can also form on water as well. These are actually called water spouts. They can turn into tornadoes once they hit the ground. But uh, bodies of water will not protect you from a tornado. Another true or false. Tornadoes never strike the same area twice. Hold on, Chris. I got to cancel that moat being built around my house real fast. <laughs> okay, hit me again. Say that again. Tornadoes never strike the same area twice. Oh, uh, it can't be true. It's got to be false, right? It's false, too. We actually, we already talked about the Palmyra one. But secondly, there's actually one of the things I'll sh that we'll have on our website shows that a tornado crossed pass in Quincy. Oh, and man. of course, also you got to look at the Oklahoma City tornadoes that crossed each other. Well, the F fives down there. I lived twenty minutes from Moore, Oklahoma, mm. so which was basically just a community of asphalt lots yep. because of all the tornadoes that would ravage that crazy. Yeah. yeah, there was two F fives in particular that crossed over each other in Oof. in in that area. Uh, two more for you. Tornadoes do not hit big cities. True or false? Oh, it got to be false, right? Yeah, look at look at uh, St. Louis just had a tornado a few years ago. Minneapolis, Miami, Oklahoma City, obviously, Wichita Falls being another one. All those have had major tornadoes go through. Cuz it's what's and this is real basic stuff here, but let's just talk basics. The thing that's driving the tornado has nothing to do with what's on the ground, right? Right, it's in the storm. It's, it's all mm -hmm. in the storm. So, I mean, it doesn't care. It, tornado don't care. Doesn't care. The only thing that does make an exception, and you can do a search on YouTube and you see some great examples, especially there was a tornado in Nashville, in, I believe it was December of last year, that, uh, in 2021, that is, that it was on the ground. You could see power flashes, but you do not see a classic cone shape. And that is a thing about once you do get into cities that it's not picking up debris enough to create that classic cone shape of a tornado you may have the wind speed and this probably was the case in quincy in 1945 
you can have it to where you could have a tornado and have these winds that are going so fast, but you don't see it. You just so see just, the debris being picked up. Just to clarify a little bit, the debris, the debris cloud that you're speaking of, which gives a, the visual shape of the cone. It helps. That's it helps. because of the, I'm guessing, the dirt dust. and the, the dust that's yep. being picked up from like yeah. the more rural setting. Yeah, so, you do have a condensation cone that comes down, but when you get into certain situations, you can you can actually not even see the condensation cone at all because, especially in cities, because that dust does help create. So when the you're in like itself. an you know the the asphalt jungle of a city, that same level of dust and just dirt that exists in the country, so to speak. Just yeah. isn't theirs. That's yeah. that's wild. Well, I didn't realize that. Might not that. be as visual. You may still have a condensation cone, but sometimes you might not. So scary stuff. And then finally, the last one for you, real quick. A tornado cannot travel up and down hillsides. True Pretty or sure. false? I'm gonna say true. That is false, Travis. <laughs> I thought you, it might. You be. made that up. <laughs> Tornadoes can travel up and down hillsides and are just violent and dangerous. If I think about it, guys, I will post a really cool video of this tornado going down this hill and it is just ripping the hill apart and it's staying tight to the ground as it possibly can. So yeah, to answer the question and to uh, re repeal the discussion that was had in my morning show by my co-hosts 10 years ago, they can go across these hills, people. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we're going to talk much more, Travis, about this because there is so much more I want to talk about on our Patreon. We're going to talk about a possibility of how wide this tornado was and also talk about since this hit the downtown business district, these are all big two and three story buildings that this tornado is going through and how maybe some of the damage is not necessarily related to the direct hit of a tornado, but by the wind that is getting blown through these larger buildings. And so that may affect how wide this tornado actually was. But we're going to cover all that coming up on the Patreon side coming up next week. Travis, did I miss anything? Is there any questions you have before we wrap things up on this? Oh, I'll be a curious kitty with lots of questions on our Patreon episode. I, it's a wonderful topic. Or I mean, a scary topic, but I have a lot of questions. So, All right, we'll check it out. Those. And uh, so that is a look at the famous 1945 tornado that hit Quincy. We'll have more after this on Wild Quincy. You got trouble coming, Big Jake. A color TV can be trouble, so we designed the new JCPenney 19-inch solid-state color portable to minimize trouble. It gives you clear, bright color pictures. Our chromalock circuit helps maintain the color and tint. And solid-state circuits are reliable, too. But if trouble comes, the plug-in circuit panels can be replaced in minutes. The JCPenney price, $419.95. If you're looking for trouble, mister, look someplace else. Well, we continue on with our blast from the past and uh, some of those nationwide commercials. And that one, Travis, I'm trying to remember what date that was. Do you have the date of that commercial by any chance? I I'm, I was stuck on another number of four nineteen um, four hundred nineteen dollars <laughs> for that lovely travel TV. I believe that it was actually. Uh, I don't think I have the date of that commercial, unfortunately. But uh, JCPenney bringing it with the mobile TV, which is very easy to service, they're happy to say. <laughs> Only takes 15 minutes to swap out a doohickey thingamajigger. And you're they're very proud of it. Well, you know, you got you to gotta have quick service. You want good oil changes and good changes to your portable TVs. Otherwise, the John Wayne actor, uh, pretending to be John Wayne, um, going to take <laughs> care of you, Chris. That's right. That uh, was a 1972 commercial for uh, JCPenney. And a good 70s crispiness to it. The reason we brought this up, because the JCPenney's, especially back in the 1945 time frame, that would have been located uh, on Main Street, which would have actually been hit by the tornado back in 1945 that we just got done talking about. So I uh, just kind of wanted to bring it up from that aspect. Thank God those portable TVs weren't there to get ruined. That's right. Uh, unfortunately, as we've already talked about, that J.C. Penney building in 1993 got uh, burned down to the ground. We don't talk about uh, that so. anymore. 
And uh, if we go back to our fire episode, it was also uh, lost a bunch of its uh, equipment and ornaments and lighting fixtures in a warehouse fire that happened. That was one of the top five biggest fires in Quincy. So it got hit by a tornado, had some fire damage Chris, in 93. God hates and- that corner. Yes, they do. Avoid Evidently. that corner. That main center better exactly. be careful. Oof, knock on wood. Jeez. Unfortunately, uh, didn't wasn't successful. Of course, the reason why JCPenney has moved from 6th and Main was because of the mall opening up. And um, so we're going to go through a couple things here about JCPenney's real quick. JCPenney is actually the name of the guy who founded uh, the company, James Cash Penny. So that's where your JCPenney comes from. Cash money. He started as a butcherer. Before he got into the department store business. Started with meat, then ended up on the logo. <laughs> uh, was founded in Wyoming. The first JCPenney's was founded in Wyoming. It wasn't the original name. It was originally named the Golden Rule. Um, I And I did, I did, I don't think I saved this one. I did find something funny that the talked Golden about. Golden Rule. Oh, here we go. Here it is. Uh, I'll just read this. In January 2012, the 4,800 people who worked at JCPenney headquarters in Plano, Texas, watched 5 million YouTube videos while on the clock, hogging almost (laughs) a third of the headquarters bandwidth. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Michael Kramer, the company's chief operating officer, revealed to the Wall Street Journal, subsequently, more than 1,600 people were shortly laid off afterwards. (laughs) That's rough morale when you're affecting the bandwidth of the company. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, the JC in this area, I believe, is uh, just recently. Probably about, I, I think it was around 2017. They shut down 130 to 140 stores. I believe that also included the Quincy store as well. So, young Travis was bought many pairs of pants and shirts at that JC Speaking of J- speaking of that, they used to be a lot more expanded than what they were in more recent time. They sold uh, cars. Or, or not car bat- uh, cars, car batteries. Oh, wow. Uh, they sold, like, tires. They also sold, I came across a 1970s article about these really cool things called shock absorbers. And so they had a wide variety of stuff that they sold. And, of course, you can't forget, back in our day at least, the good old catalogs that used to come in the mail with all the mm, toys. In I well. would circle the toys that I wanted for Christmas. The toy. Boy, did you spend a lot of time in that toy section, Chris? I sure did. I don't remember JCPenney's toy section. No, I mean in the catalog. Oh, for sure. It was never in the stores. Never in the store. Yeah. But boy, that, yeah. in a mythical land depicted from this catalog, wonderful things were in store. Speaking of wonderful things in store, Travis, I think it's time to bring out the golden pipes. Bring it on, Chris. And now it's time for Words of Wisdom from Adams County. All right, it's Travis. Time to go into the wits and wisdom of our forefathers and foremothers. And Travis, I thought it would be appropriate, since we are talking tornadoes and storms, that I go to a specific section in the uh, Adam County folklore section. Let's see what you can spin up for us, Chris. Ah, uh, nice pun. Uh, we're going to the weather section for this one. I'm going to give you a few. This is a oh, uh, bonus folklore section. Buckle here. up. We got some some bonus ones, guys. So let's start with this one. Burning a piece of blessed palm in the stove on Palm Sunday and your house will never be struck by lightning. Hmm. Okay. Good to know. Then let's try another one here. Uh, Sitting on a feather bed and the lightning will not strike you. Because of the bird connection, I'm sure. Uh, Also, hey, good news. Crawl under the bed. Lightning won't hit you. (laughs) Of course. Everyone knows lightning's afraid of beds. But here's the kicker, Travis. Okay, bring it. This is a quote. My mother always kept the axe and the spade sitting in the house. And whenever we would see a storm coming, mother would say, Children, run and throw the axe and spade out the door so the lightning won't hit the house. Words of wisdom from Adams County. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone knows that lightning loves, loves axes and shovels and any kind of garden implement tool. <laughs> And it will make a beeline to get that axe. So, right. so, so, in the craziness of the storm, please go to the door, chuck the axe as hard as you can. Sure, hopefully none of the neighbors are out, and we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see axe throwing. Boy, that that comes back full circle. I think, right? It does. It does. So that is a, a look at the wit and wisdom for fathers, for mothers. Travis, before we wrap things up, I think we have to take care of one last thing. Axe throwing's all the rage, and we were talking about throwing axes. It brings us right back to the question of the day. Re- refresh our memory, Chris. 
Wow, that wasn't even that wasn't even done on purpose. That's awesome. Uh, in 1912, a famous axe murder occurred in Adams County. Up to a few years ago, the location was actually a bar. What was the name of the bar? I'm going to give you some choices. Whether Mike's Place, the Haunted Tavern, the Flying Inn, or Adams Trading Post. Travis, what are your thoughts? As much as I would love to say I don't know this, I absolutely know this. And that is the Haunted Tavern. We This has come up. This has come up, yes. but what I have a question. Tell us what, what's the connection. What are we going to be talking about next that has to do with the haunted tavern? Why is it haunted? Well, we've already previewed this uh, because it's haunted, Travis. That's why it's called the haunted tavern. We've already talked about this a little bit, but we're super excited. Uh, we are going to be digging into the Van Schmidt murders. We're hoping to have a special guest on in the next episode as we get into the crime category once again. So we'll be uh, digging deep into this 1912 axe murder. It has twists and turns. It has fires. It has axes. It has school teachers. It has everything that you can imagine, and that is coming up on the next episode of Wild Quincy. Travis, before we wrap things up, are we missing anything? I'm wondering if it was storming that night. Maybe it was just a misunderstanding with the axe being thrown. Somebody didn't throw the axe outside. The door was shut and it bounced off. Um, no, Chris, that's horrible. I can't. That's not it right. No, I think we've said it all. If, uh, if, if you like what we're doing, consider being a Patreon member. And that's all I got. We're going to be back at you in a couple weeks with a great show about the Van Schmidt murders. For Travis Hoffman, I'm Chris Ketters. You've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.